Well, when was the last time you were ripped off, deceived, taken advantage of? No offense against salesmen. I, I, I know plenty of good car salesmen, but 99% of the time when I'm shopping for a car, I'm thinking, hmm, is this good for me? Or is this good for him or her? Am I being ripped off? Whenever we smell even the possibility of being ripped off, we naturally run for the exits, right? Years ago, I, I, I led a small group of people to um, the country of Kazakhstan in Central Asia. And we landed, uh, picked up our lug luggage and, and baggage claim, began to make our way through customs when two government officials denied us entry. Um, they wanted each of us to pay, pay them $50 each. And I thought, well, Toto, you're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> so we were ready to part with the cash. We, we just thought, hey, this is, uh, I guess this is part of doing business here in Kazakhstan. But our main translator, whose name was Luba, was, was waiting on the other side of customs. Luba had a, had, had, she had lived in Kazakhstan all her life. Luba, Luba was less than five feet tall. She was funny, she was full of life, and I'll tell you, she was feisty. So when she found out what these two guys had done to us, um, she let them have it. Uh, she gave them an earful of who knows what in Russian. But all I know is we got to keep the cash and we were on our way. So no, no one in their right mind likes to be ripped off. We avoid it like the plague. Well, we've been taking a, a look at Jesus' um, seven I am statements in the book of John, and we've, we've come to the final night before Jesus would be arrested and crucified. For the disciples, uh, it was a time filled with confusion and filled with um, disillusionment. And what they had hoped for and, and left their fishing boats for was a Messiah who would, you know, make Israel great again. One who'd overthrow the Romans, one who'd restore Israel's independence, and one who would finally set up his kingdom here on earth. And uh, for these guys, uh, the, the past three years have been like all up and to the right. Jesus was growing in popularity. Jesus was, um, uh, the crowds were flocking to him. But now, especially since they had uh, gotten closer and closer to Jerusalem, the, mom the, the momentum, it felt like it shifted. S there was an enormous, ominous sense that the forces, those in power, were, were closing in around Jesus. And so they thought, you know, you know, we gave up our jobs, we gave up our careers, we gave up our fishing boats and what have you. We left it all. We cashed in all of our chips. We thought he was literally going to make Israel great again. Is, is, is this it? Or did we get ripped off? And Peter's denial just a, f a few hours later that he even knew Jesus was exhibit A that this was what everyone was thinking around that table that night. 
2,000 years later, um, probably some of you are feeling a similar sense of confusion and, and disillusionment, yeah, especially after the um, year or 18 months we've just been through. Remember those uh, uh, Life is Good t-shirts? They had the mugs, the um, bumper stickers. I never owned one, just for the record, but some of you did. And th- there was a time when it, when it, uh, that seemed to summarize your life pretty well. Life is good, for the most part. Life was good. But now, I- it's been a long time since life felt good. Life has dealt you more pain, more disappointment, more regret, more suffering than you'd expected. Some of it is, is uh, the result of other people's choices, sins, some of it is the, uh, the result of your own choices, your own sins. Uh, some of it is the result of neither. It's just part of living in this broken world. Regardless, you, you, you still wonder, is this it? The words of Jesus that we're, we're going look to at, look at this morning uh, give a life-giving, reorienting response to the, that question. Is this it? They're found in um, uh, John 14, verses 1 through 11. And I'll read that. Um, Let's just stand together as we listen to this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and, and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. This is the word of the Lord. So is, is this it? <laughs> Am I getting ripped off? Real questions that are often, that often go unspoken, especially when life gets hard. So I want us to notice three things present in this passage. A command, a promise, and an I am statement. A command, a promise, and an I am statement. Let's begin with the command. 
one command, actually two parts. One positive, one negative. Here's the negative one. Verse one, don't let your hearts be troubled. In other words, don't be despondent. Don't allow yourself to be gripped by fear. Don't allow your, your, your confusing circumstances to disorient you, to, to lead you astray. Instead, and here comes the, the other part of the command, the main part, trust in God. And trust also in me. Or as a more little, literal translation puts it, believe in God, believe also in me. Well, what does it mean to believe? You've probably seen those uh, decorative pieces that you uh, maybe have seen on someone's mantle saying believe. And uh, it's got a nice flowy font. But what does that even mean? Believe in what? Believe in who? You know, I, I, I can believe the sky is blue, but that doesn't change my life. I can believe in happy thoughts, all kinds of happy thoughts, but that, is, that doesn't change my circumstances. What are we actually doing when we sincerely believe in God, believe in Jesus as the Messiah? The Greek word for believe or trust is pisteo. Pisteo means to believe on someone, to believe on something. So it, it, it means believe on more than it means believe in something, believe in someone. It's the difference between giving mental assent to something and genuine belief. Let me give you an example. If I believe this stool will hold me, but I never sit on the stool, so say, hey, yeah, I, I believe that will hold me. That is mental assent. But if, if I believe this stool will hold me and I choose to put my full weight on it, my whole self on it, that's genuine belief. To believe on something means to count on it, means to rely on it, to, to depend on it, as if your life depended on it. Secondly, the, the tense of the Greek here is that they, is, is what they call the, the continuous present, meaning keep believing in God, keep believing also in me. And that's what Jesus means here. When, when life deals you your fair share of suffering or unfair share of suffering, when it deals you confusion, when it deals you loss, when it deals you pain, don't fear. Don't become disoriented. Instead, keep counting on God. Keep counting on me. Keep relying on God. Keep relying on me. Keep depending on God. Keep depending on me as if your life depends on it, because it does. Well, keep trusting him for what? That's a good question. <laughs> Glad you asked. Because the two-part command is connected to a two-part promise. Part one, 
Jesus promises to prepare a place for us. He says in verse 2, There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm coming to prepare a place for you? What does he, what does he, what does he mean by uh, prepare a place for us? Is he, is he uh, putting on a, an addition or uh, picking out furniture or cleaning up the place? No, Jesus is talking about his role as our ultimate high priest. We needed him to prepare a place for us because he's, an, uh, he's a holy God and we are very unholy, right? We are, we are sin-stained. We are selfish, every one of us. So we needed him to clean us, cleanse us, to, to make us acceptable before a holy God. This is the whole point of the letter of Hebrews. The, the, the writer of Hebrews painstakingly uh, tells us how the old system, the old temple, the old priesthood, the old sacrifices was just a shadow of things to come. Listen to these uh, words from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 to 26. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven, he entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again, like the, the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. Then skipping down later to, to, to verses 12 and 14 of chapter 10. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. This is what we're doing in a few minutes as, as we celebrate baptisms. Jesus, our great high priest, prepared a place and opened the way for us to, by, by dying in our place for us, by taking the judgment we deserve. By being raised back from the dead, all of us who have been united to him in faith have been united to him, which means glued to, permanently glued to him by his death and his resurrection. So, so death is not the end of Jesus. Therefore, death will not be the end of us. Why? Because he's prepared a place for us. So that's the, that's the first part of the two-part promise. Jesus promises to prepare a place for us, and he has. Part two, Jesus promises to come back for us. He says in, in verse three, when everything is ready, I'll come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. The big idea. Jesus starts what he finishes. Jesus starts what he finishes. 
He says, I didn't endure all, all that, the cross, the separation from the Father who he had been in close, intimate, intimate relationship for all eternity. He didn't go through all that just to forget us. It's impossible for you to slip through my fingers. It's impossible for you to be snatched away either by sin within you or by someone or something else outside of you. You've been cleansed. You've been washed by what? By the blood of myself. You're clean. You're holy now. You're qualified. And you're mine now. And you know what? I am coming back for you. But I, I think he means more than his return when he finally puts to an end to, to suffering, to death, to, to pain, to tears. The list could go on. Um, later, on that, in that, later on in that same conversation, he says in, in John 16, verse 7, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Why? Because if I don't, the advocate, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit, the advocate won't come. And if I do go away, then I'll send him to you. So what difference does the Spirit make in our lives? Paul tells us in Romans 8, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are, not, uh, you are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, He will Give life to your mortal bodies by that same Spirit living within you. Without the Holy Spirit, we'd be forgiven but powerless. Without the Holy Spirit, we'd be forgiven but spiritually fruitless. Without the Holy Spirit, we'd be forgiven but we'd be unchanged. Without the Holy Spirit, we'd be forgiven but spiritually dead. Peter writes in um, his first letter, chapter two, verse nine, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. In other words, this is the fullness of the gospel. The other Without the Spirit, it's just a partial gospel. The fullness of what Jesus meant when he, when he said he'd come back for us is the giving of the Spirit. It's his return, for sure. But it's his, the, the giving of his Spirit as well. As a result of what Jesus has done and his Spirit now living in us, we get to play a part of lovingly pouring ourselves out for a hurting world. That's, that's where I was going with this. By telling in a compelling way how truly excellent Christ is and by demonstrating his love and compassion 
um, compassionate ways of serving them, those are two of the ways we demonstrate our spirit-filled lives. We're waiting, we're praying for his return, yes, that's the unfulfilled promise, but in the meantime, he generously gives us his, his spirit as a down payment of things to come. So two-part command, don't let your hearts be troubled. Instead, keep on trusting in God. Keep on trusting in me, Jesus says. That's followed by a two-part promise. Number one, as your high priest, I have totally and completely prepared the way for you. And while you wait for my return, I'm working in and transforming you now. But a promise is only as good as the promise giver, right? So Jesus gives this, this I am statement to, to really punctuate all that he's been talking about. Verses 4 through 6. And you know the way where I'm going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus said, underlined, bolded, italicized. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So to follow the logic of what he's saying, Jesus is saying, I am the way. That is, apart from me, the way, there is no truth. Apart from me, the way, there is no life. No one can gain entrance into the Father's presence except through me, I am exclusively, absolutely, the way. Jesus doesn't say, I show you the way, or I blaze a trail, but it's on you to take the road I take. No, his, his words here don't allow us to reduce him to a, to a role model or, or someone to emulate the way is a person. He himself is our only means. A promise is only as good as the promise giver. What makes the promise so good is that Jesus is so good. What makes the promise so believable is that Jesus is so believable. What makes the, the promise so strong is, that, is, is what Jesus has already done strongly for us. Bottom line, Jesus' promise is worth believing because Jesus is worth believing. This is what it all hangs on. A promise is only as good as the promise giver. Listen, any, any religion or any guru, or any self-help book that promises to do what only Jesus has done is selling you a bill of goods. They're the ones ripping you off. Only in a relationship with Jesus can we find peace that surpasses understanding. Only in a relationship with Jesus can we find joy that is durable 
to withstand the storms of life. Only in, in a relationship with Jesus can we have true hope instead of just like hmm, wishful thinking. Life, even at its best, is still hard. Sooner or later, you, you and I are, are, are going to be asking the question, <laughs> is this it? We, we've saved all our lives. Um, to uh, live our dreams, to follow a, a little white ball on a, on a golf course. Is this it? We're experiencing a, a, a <laughs> we're, all of us in this room are experiencing a dose of uncertainty these days, especially with the, the pastoral transition underway. We're facing uncertainty. But Jesus assures us that this is not it. He is the ultimate shepherd. He, and he has gone before us and prepared a place for us and is coming back for us. He is the way. Do you get that? My, my, my prayer for all of us is that this, this promise would, would have teeth that, that we become so confident and enamored in the one, capital O, who's made the promise. Jesus has given us everything we need to be confident that he's reigning, he's ruling, he's, he will return for us and take us to be with him forever. Do you believe that? Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your tender faithfulness, your tender love, your tender grace to each one of us. Thank you, Jesus, for, for lovingly being our, our way, our high priest, for offering the ultimate sacrifice for us that we all desperately needed, which is yourself. I pray for, for each one of us, myself included, that you would be bigger than life's troubles in our little minds. And as we wait for your return, we, I pray that we would live out our identity as a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people called to proclaim the excellencies of you. That we would take joy, true joy, in lovingly being poured out for a confused, disillusioned world. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please rise to sing?